Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Wow, that was a lot of energy. We are pumped. We are ready. And we're glad that you're here. Yeah, welcome to 12 Stone Home or online community if you are just out there in the internet world. Internet world. Yeah, anywhere. That's what it's called. That's the official name of the internet. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Fun facts. I do. Anyway, my name is Jeremy. This is Rachel, and we're glad you guys are here. Yeah, we are so excited for today. And uh, where are we headed today, Jeremy? Yeah, so Pastor Jason is going to be with us, and he's going to be talking about kind of the start of the church. Like, really crazy. We've been through the Jesus Storybook. We've been through the, we've been through the Jesus <laughs> We're Storybook. We're doing awesome. Jesus Storybook Bible, like, for a whole year. Yeah. Which is, that's some serious commitment. We've been doing that for a while, and so today we're going to be talking about Paul and uh, his conversion, which is super cool. So excited about that. But that's kind of a deep way to start maybe your 12-stone <laughs> home gathering to ask a question about Paul. Uh, so we thought we would go a different yeah. route. Yeah, so, you know, if uh, you're watching this week, uh, it is Thanksgiving week. and that's right. Everyone loves, what's your favorite thing about Thanksgiving, other than, you know, family and stuff? Yeah, my favorite food. thing is, yeah, it's got to be food. food. Um, and, yeah, all the normal, it's very cliche, like food and football, but it's true. Like, I it like is. those things, and I like doing nothing. Like, I don't want to do. <laughs> no I cooking. I don't want to do anything. I want to do nothing. Nothing. That's it. So, there you go. Anyway. That was for Jess. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, good food options out yeah. there, though, speaking so of Yeah, so our question for today is, if you could only have one Thanksgiving food, no others, only one, yeah. what would it be? Yep. Take some time, and then we'll come back, and we'll answer that question. Okay, so Jeremy was just telling me he has a really weird that uh, weird. food that I've never heard of. No, it's not that weird. It so, is. It's very and weird. And when I say it, uh, there's it's uh, trademarked for the Epps family. But it's called Nummy Nums. And, uh, already so, weird. Yeah, already a little, maybe a little bit weird. But it's got a Cool Whip base. Uh, so you don't make your own whipped cream. Like, it's, it's Cool Whip. And then there's mm-hmm. pistachio pudding. There's canned mandarin oranges. Um, there is uh, marshmallows. That's a big deal. There's canned pineapple. Uh, in it, and then you just mix it up, and then you just eat it. So that's pretty much it. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's really good. Everyone wants to go to his house for Thanksgiving. Everyone right now at home is just like, Ugh, cool whip. What See, else? Mine would be my mom's mac and cheese. She makes it homemade. Okay, it is yep. great. I could have it all day, every day. It's right. wonderful. Yep, that's so awesome. So a lot of our twelve stone home gatherings have been doing friendsgiving. Yeah, friendsgiving. It's been so cool seeing people like Amber, who's in Spokane, Washington. She was talking about how it was really cool because there are people that wouldn't necessarily go to church, but they came over to her house for Friendsgiving and they just kind of hang out, spend time together, and little do they know that that's where she has church. Yeah, that's awesome. And so it's a really cool thing of being able to invite people in. And so people all across 12 Stone Home, we all know that people are longing for community. Yep. And that's the beauty of 12 Stone Home is you can't hide. You are in community. And so if you're just watching online, feel free. Text HOME to 37748, and I'd love to reach out to you and simply... Either get them connected to a gathering, or maybe you're interested in, hey, 
I want to have. Yeah, I want to host. I want to have community at my house. Yeah, so. totally. So send that text. Rachel will actually call you back. It's not going to be some bot, you know, yeah. type thing that's going to call you back. It'll actually be human. Unless I'm a bot. <laughs> she, does, she does talk like that when she's on the phone. So anyway, uh, so yeah, would love for you to engage with that uh, and maybe start your own friendsgiving this week. But today. We're about to turn our attention into worship. We are. And uh, worship looks different at every home gathering. We talk about this quite a bit, but we want to be able to just lay it out for you. Just maybe so if you're like, oh, no, I'm a little nervous about this. What do I do? Like, uh, what does it look like for you guys? Yeah, so uh, some people stand and mm -hmm. are expressive okay. in their worship. Other people sit and journal. Some people just stand and absorb kind of the words and allow the words just to wash over them. Because what's cool is worship is what we give to God. Yep. That's right, and so that might look different wherever you're at, but here's what you need to know. Um, we do believe this, and we don't say it generically, the presence of God is everywhere. Yep. The presence of God is not limited to just a church, like a traditional church building, like in a worship center. Yes, God is there, but God is with you right now. Yep. He's actively in your home, he's in your car, he's in your workspace. Wherever you're watching this, you have access to the presence of God. And so go ahead and stand if you want, sit, let the lyrics uh, kind of wash over you, but we're gonna engage with the presence of God and worship right now, excited about it. Here we go. Oh, hey church, you can stand to your feet at home, online, just get into a posture of worship, lean into his presence today, because we worship the God who is worthy, the God who deserves our song. So you come and give it to him today? Sing this with me. Who else when rocks cry out to worship? Whose glory taught the stars to shine? Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing. But this joy, but this joy is mine. Lift a thousand hallelujahs with a thousand hallelujahs. We magnify your name. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs, a thousand more. Of what is done, who else would die for our redemption? Whose resurrection means our rise? There isn't time enough to see. To the Lord, to the Lamb, to the Lamb. 
God, you're worthy of our affection, and we give it to you, God. We pour out our love on you because you've been so gracious to us, so kind, so loving, so merciful. And so we lift our hallelujah, we lift our worship because you deserve that and more. So would you inhabit these praises? We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So church, as always, it's an honor. It's a pleasure to worship with you. 12 on home, you get ready to jump into the message. Live in the room before you're seated. Why don't you take a second, greet someone around you, and we'll jump into the teaching. So here, across the campuses here, you can grab a seat. Tell somebody next to you, say, man, happy Thanksgiving. A couple days early, I know. Tell them happy Thanksgiving, whether at home or to campus. Man, it's great to be with you. I'm just curious. I'm going to tell you a little, bit about, a little bit about myself. I love documentaries. I want to know who's a nerd like I am. Who likes documentaries? Thank you. Who's like my wife? The second I turn it on, she's like, no, I'll watch with you. And she's at it. How many of y'all like that? You can't do it. 
Like I, I love history. I love understanding how things come together, how things started. I love to look back on some of the great moments in history and like do an autopsy. Like what happened? How did they get there? How did we get to where we are today? Like I loved looking back and, and looking into the, into the early abolitionist movement. Like how did some people not see what was going on? Like how come it took so long to go, wait a second, this is not right. And then who had the guts to stand up and say, this is not just a moment. This is a movement God's inviting us to. This is wrong. Or looking back at South Africa, the anti-apartheid movement, where they went, wait a second, this is, this is not right. Nelson Mandela going, listen, I'm gonna, I'll go to jail for this because I believe in it. The civil rights movements in the 60s where people stood up like Martin Luther King and said, listen, this is not right. I love going back to those moments and saying, how did God start a movement through it? Like, I, I like looking back at even like just nerdy stuff, like the Industrial Revolution. Anybody? Who loves the industrial? I, I wasn't going to ask that question. You probably should, because that's where like, where things, things like the assembly line changed everything. You think I'm such a nerd. I love reading about Henry Ford and how the assembly line happened, how this played out, or the technological revolution of the 90s and early 2000s that allowed us to go from CDs to MP3s. Now, if you're under 20, you're confused. We used to carry around 40-pound CD cases in our car. We'd be like, what do you want to listen to? Awesome. And you'd flip these things over, and you'd listen to one song, and then, then you got the iPod, praise God. And then from there, it's on your phone, and you have streaming. Like, I love the whole deal. The movement from landlines into cell phones. You don't know this. When I was in high school, and I got done with basketball practice, I didn't have a cell phone to call my parents and say, pick me up. So here's what I would do. Some of y'all know what I did. You call collect. Wait for it. I, I might have to ask forgiveness for it, but you call collect and they say, please state your name. And you say, mom, basketball's over. Come pick me up. And then it would say to my mom, she'd pick up and it'd say, you have a collect call from uh, mom, basketball practice over. Come pick me up. And she'd know when we'd hang out, wouldn't pay anything. That's how life used to work. The movement to the internet where you can just click a button on Amazon and like magic, it delivers on your doorstep. Like I love looking back at moments in history that turned into movements that changed everything. One of, the, one of the documentaries over the years, several years ago that came out that just like took off like wildfire was a documentary about a guy who wanted, true story, who wanted to start a brand new movement in this sort of music festival world. And his idea was that he wanted to take this island in the Bahamas and turn it into this amazing music festival. The guy's name is Billy McFarland. And here's what he did. He was a brilliant marketer. There was one day, it was December the 12th, 2016, he paid a bunch of social media influencers to post this orange square on their Instagram all at the same time with nothing but the hashtag fire festival. Ever heard of this? All these things posted and everyone lost their mind. What is this? I have to get in on this. And if you followed this to the website, it had this promo video that looked too good to be true. All these models on the beach running around are like, this looks amazing. And his marketing strategy worked because with a promo video and some Instagram posts, he sold the thing out in like two days. Some tickets as high as $12,000. People were so stoked about this moment with just social media posts and a video. Here's the problem. His idea for this music festival was really good in the marketing world. But when it came time to actually do it, 
He didn't know what he was doing putting on a music festival. So people started to arrive and fly into this little island expecting this unbelievable promotion that he set. And then they get there and there's no bathrooms. There's no, there's no ability to feed the amount of people that he sold tickets for. They ended up setting up FEMA tents for their luxury suites people paid for for this music festival. Porta John's everywhere. He's stressing out. If you watch the documentary, this guy is stressing out. So his idea was this. Just pass out booze to everybody. They won't realize how bad it is. And that lasted about three hours until people started to lose their mind. It was an absolute failure. This guy's idea was, man, we could start this music festival. It could change the world. It's going to be awesome. And then when he showed up to deliver, listen, it was all marketing and no substance. It was all like, this guy could sell ice to an Eskimo. And then when it came time, it failed because there was no substance. When their big moment came, he failed. See, this fire festival thing, as I watch it, I didn't sleep well when I heard about it and read about it. Like the idea that this guy had had this size of a failure. Here's the thing. Lawsuits started like within 24 hours. This guy gets sued. He ends up going to prison. Didn't get out of prison until March of this year. That's how you know you messed up. When your idea sent you to prison for that long. You see, I, I love looking back and sort of taking apart what worked, what didn't work. Why did some things become this unbelievable movement? Other things fell apart, which leads us to our big question. What makes a movement last? Like what, what makes the movement not just be a flash in the pan like the fire festival, but, but a movement that lasts for generation and generation that changes things. And as we are sitting in our second to last week of the Jesus Storybook Bible series, we're nearing the end. And there's been some incredible moments in scripture we've already walked through. Recently, we discovered the fact that, that Jesus had, had died in our place on the cross Three days later, he rose from the dead, praise God. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and in the upper room with 120 disciples, the Holy Spirit came. They're filled up. They're empowered to live out God's purposes, and now God says, listen, these moments have been awesome. It's now time for me to start the movement. It's now time for me to actually say it's got to go from, from this upper room to the ends of the earth, and we begin to watch how God's going to unleash his movement. And really, if you want to know how scripture works, from Acts 2 to Revelation 1, the entirety of that scripture is basically showing how God started this movement to get the gospel, the good news, to the ends of the earth. And here's how God starts it inside of Matthew 16. He's talking to Peter. He says this. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, the, the, the movement that Jesus started to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth was through the church. And he could have done it any way he wanted to, but he chose the church. And he gave Peter the keys to Hades. And listen, the, 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 the gates of Hades will not prevail. You have the keys to the kingdom of God. It felt like, if I'm honest, God giving the keys to a 12-year-old to drive a car. Like, God, why would you give your movement to us? By the way, you're part of the church. His plan to start this movement was us. And if you're not looking in the mirror, that's a terrifying thought in some ways. Like, listen, if God would have hired the marketing department from the fire Festival and said, listen, we got to get the word out, you know what they'd say? 
They say, listen, let's, let's start here. Don't use Peter and the disciples. Those guys are a mess. You don't, you don't want to mess with those guys. We need, we need people that look real good and that clean up real nice and that are super smart in leadership. Listen, think this way. We could do billboards and ad campaign. We could do marketing. We could use, we could use a celebrities and influencers. And, and like this, and this is how we get the word out. And yet God did something completely different. You see, when you don't have power to deliver, your only option is a great marketing campaign. But when you have power to deliver, you don't need a slick marketing campaign. Because here's what's at the core of God's movement. At the core of God's movement is the gospel's power to radically transform people. Like the, the only thing we got going, because we're a mess, the only thing we got going is the power of God to transform people. In 2 Corinthians, here's how it is described. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the hope of God's movement. That people are actually changed. We're made new in Christ. People who were once dead in their sin are now alive in Christ. People who were once broken and hurting and hopeless now have hope because we are a new creation in Christ. People who once had no ability to do good have a new heart and are good from the inside out now. That's the good news of the gospel, and this transformation plays out over and over and over again, over thousands of years, and here's what God said about the early church, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the hope of God's movement, that he's moving through people and transforming people. In fact, I want you to see how it would have played out. In the early church, the gospel message begins to expand from the central point where it started in the Middle East across the globe. God would send an apostle into a new territory, and that apostle would begin to preach the gospel. For example, you've got Andrew who went to Greece and Turkey, or Simon who went to Egypt and Persia, or Peter who went to Asia, and they would show up to these new places and say, let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus. And then they'd preach it, and then people would bow to Jesus and say, my life is not mine. They'd be radically transformed. Then they would start a church in that area, and that church would grow from a house into different places and grow and grow and grow until finally the gospel message gets to us here and now, some 2,000 years later, 6,500 miles away from where it started. See, the movement that God started continued because the next person was transformed and the next person was transformed and over and over again. And listen, a good marketing strategy would not have kept this movement going. Like there's no amount of billboards or advertisements or commercials you could shoot that would keep this movement going. It relies on the power of God to transform a life. And if you're sitting within earshot of this teaching today, listen, God's power can transform you from the inside out. You don't have to be who you've always been. You don't have to be who you started as. God can transform you, give you a new heart. Not just give you a ticket to heaven, but change your existence here and now. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the movement that God started some 2,000 years ago. And for the remainder of our time, I want to sit inside of a case study, if you will. Because there was one person in scripture that more radically demonstrated God's power to transform than maybe anybody else in all of scripture. See, there's, there's a guy that, that we now know of as a giant of our faith. 
He's a guy that we look to as a hero in the faith, but he was not always that way. See, we know him today as the Apostle Paul, but what they knew him of by back then was he was Saul of Tarsus. That's the city he grew up in. Saul of Tarsus. And he was not a good dude. In fact, he was not excited that the, that the church movement was spreading. He was getting angry watching this church grow and people bowing to Jesus, and he wanted to stop it. So he began to persecute the early church. He began to beat up and imprison Christians. He was even in Acts 7 at the stoning, the first death of the first martyr of the church. Saul's standing there saying, you have my blessing. Like, this is not a good dude. This guy is not who we know him as today. In fact, here's how the early church describes him in Acts 8. I want you to see who he really was back then. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, the first martyr, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Like not just a, like, not just like a bully, not just a guy who was like a little bit of a cheat or a little bit of a mean guy or would say mean words. He was ravaging the church, going house to house, arresting Christians, trying to shut this whole movement down. And if you were a Christian in the, in the early church and you heard the name Saul, you would go run and hide. Like, this dude is the worst. This guy was a terrorist to the early church. And then one day he heard about a group of Christians in this city down the road called Damascus. And he heard that, they were, that the church was growing in Damascus. And he said, I'm going to go there and do the same thing to them as well. But God had other plans. In fact, here's how the Jesus Storybook Bible demonstrates the start of Saul's transformation by the gospel. Saul was on his way to Damascus when suddenly a dazzling light flashed like lightning. It was brighter than the sun. It was too bright. Saul shielded his eyes and fell to the ground. He heard a loud voice. It was too loud. It gave Saul a headache. Saul, Saul, said the loud voice, why are you fighting me? Lord, Saul answered, who are you? I am Jesus, said the voice. When you hurt my friends, you're hurting me too. Saul's whole body trembled. Go to the city, Jesus said. I'll tell you what to do. See, this moment begins a transformation process in the life of Saul that would change everything. See, there's, there's a process I want to walk you through. And maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe no one's ever taught you that there is a process that God wants to do in your life as part of the transformation with the power of the gospel. And maybe, let me just say it this way. This is where we were literally praying before we, I stepped out here. Maybe you're settling for less than God has promised you. Let me just let that sit. Maybe your view of following Jesus and your faith is less than God has invited you to live into. Maybe you've settled in places that the Spirit of God might just whisper, whisper to your soul today, you're settling for less. What if there was more? What if there was more than just empty religion and sacred duties and having to strive and earn? What if there was more to this? You see, I want to walk you through the case study of the four sort of steps in this journey of transformation 
And I pray that the Spirit of God would just arrest your heart. And maybe, maybe you would leave with a supernatural hope you've not had in some time. And maybe there's some that are sitting in a 12-stone home or at a campus that are going, I've given this Jesus thing its chances, and it's just not what I thought it would be. Maybe you're settling for less than God offers. See, I want walk this journey with me. I, I need you to step into this with me, because this same process that, that God brings Saul through, he wants to bring us through and how he transforms us. Here again, in Acts 9, here's how this exchange is recorded in Scripture. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. In that moment, here's the first thing. Paul met Jesus, which is a curious thought. Because if you know anything about Paul, Saul, Saul was a religious man. He was trained by the best teachers on the planet. He knew a lot about God. In fact, here's how he describes his upbringing in Acts 22. His own words. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That guy was the most famous Old Testament scholar of his time. That's who taught Saul. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. Here's what he's saying. I did all the religious things I could possibly do. He had checked every religious box. He knew more about the Old Testament than I probably do. He was trained by the best teachers on the planet, and yet Saul knew God intellectually, but had no relationship with him. He knew all about God, but didn't know God. And in this moment, he has an encounter with the risen Christ and realizes for the first time, listen, the very person I've been studying about and training about and reading about and memorizing scripture about, I'm actually meeting him for the first time. And he could not fathom the thought that this whole thing was not about a religion, but it was about actually knowing almighty God. And maybe you've played church your whole life and you've not realized what God really wants. He really wants you to know him, to have a relationship with him. It's not about checking the boxes. It's about knowing God. See, I grew up a lot like Saul did. My grandfather was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. I was at church three to five hundred times a week, it felt like. Every time the doors were open, where am I? I'm there. You know, I, I, I can still close my eyes and remember how many rows back in the pews I sat. My brother and I would literally sit there and play a game. Like, if that light fell, who would it kill? It's weird. And we got bored. And we're like, that one's got Ethel dead pegged right there. Like, that's a bad, like, we were there so much, we had to invent games. Like, I, 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 I knew all the Bible facts, man. If you did a sword drill with me, I would smoke you. And it's not a super cool brag, but I could. Like, I knew all, like, I knew all the church stuff. If you'd have looked at me at 15 years old, you'd have said, man, that guy is like the model Christian. Problem was, I'd never met Jesus. Like, I knew all the, I knew all the stuff. I could quote scripture at you, but I didn't know, I'd never met him. And I'll tell the whole story in January when we get there, but here's, here's the, the piece you need to know. I never met Jesus until at two in the morning, the summer before my senior year of high school, I don't know how to explain it, except God woke me up out of a sound sleep. I was sleeping great. I was tired. 
two in the morning, the Spirit of God woke me up. I'm not like a super mystical person. I don't, but I, I can't explain it any other way. I woke up and I went to my parents' formal living room, the room I was never allowed in, only for company, right? I went there, I laid on my face, and I just wept before God. I, that's not my wiring to be that way. I just wept before God. It was like for the first time I'd experienced the presence of God. Like I'm in God's presence right now. God's here with me. And I wept over my sin. I begged for forgiveness. And in that moment, that's when I actually realized I can know God. And I can't explain much beyond I didn't have to fake being, having gratitude in worship anymore. Like I didn't have to go to church and pretend like, yeah, I'm here. I was going through the motions and now all of a sudden it's real. I didn't have to be forced to read scripture and pray. Like I wanted to spend time with God. When I actually met God, it changed everything. And what God wants is not just you to learn more religious stuff. God wants you to know him. And that's what happened on the road to Damascus. Saul had spent his whole life learning about God. And in a moment, he met God on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. Problem was, that's the start. Started with that moment, but there's a movement God's trying to create in his life. And here's what happens in verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Now, all of a sudden, Saul is blind. And ironically, just a minute before, he was physically able to see and spiritually blind. And in this moment, Jesus flips it. And now he can spiritually see and he's physically blind. Isn't that interesting? And in that moment, everything flipped and he can't see. And only Jesus could heal his sin problem. But I want you to see what God invites Paul to go do with the other problems he's carrying. In Acts 9, here's what, here's what he says to do. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it where Paul was. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see, he was blind, and here's what God invites him to do. Ananias restored Paul's sight. So first of all, he met Jesus, and then Ananias restored his sight, and you're going, what does this have to do with me? Like, I'm, I'm not blind for most of us. What is God inviting us to? Listen to me. All of us have scales on our eyes, lenses, if you will, and the way you see your life today is influenced by the things in your past, and you see into your future life based on the things you went through in your past, your pain, your problems, your hurt, the people who said things to you that you still carry, the baggage that you have, and you don't even realize it, but we are more like Saul in this moment than you realize. All of us have lenses we see our life through that are coming from our past that project into our future. You've got hurt, you've got habits, you've got hang-ups, you've got things in your world that if they were not there, your life would be better. They might not be things that keep you from eternity, but there are things you carry, hurts and scars and things that you see everything in your life through. And this is what's interesting. Jesus could have healed Saul on the road to Damascus right there. But what did he do? He sent him to God's people, Ananias. 
and said, that guy's going to heal you from those things. Here's how Jesus' half-brother says it. I've, this is an awakening thought for us. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Here's what I want you to hear. You go to God for forgiveness, but you go to God's people for healing. Don't miss this. I can't forgive you and make you right with God. Only God can do that. But God invites us as a church to pray for one another that we might be healed. Here's what I mean. When we talk about small groups at this church, it's not a social gathering. It's the place that you can finally take your mask off, be honest about the things in your world that you're still carrying, the past, the people, the pain from the things you still carry and say, this is still affecting me. And what if God designed the church as the place where we lay hands on you and pray for you and God can heal you from those things? You don't have to see your world through your past anymore. You don't have to carry the baggage and the hurt and all of those things into your future anymore. What if God created the church for that reason? See, God sent Paul to Ananias for healing, but God sends us to his people for healing. And maybe you don't realize it, but there's still things that you're looking at into your future that are really things from your past that are still messing you up. And what if God wants to heal you from those things, to help you see right like he did for Paul? So that's the second step, but then it continues to move on. Once Paul could see right, he could now see the future that God had for him clearly. Here's the third piece in Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Here's what this is. This is Paul's purpose. See, Paul discovered his purpose that all along God had created Paul on purpose and for a purpose. And the whole time that Paul was getting his high-level religious training, the whole time that he was getting trained deep in scripture, the whole time he was even attacking the church, God was preparing something for him. He had a purpose for his life. And Paul's unique purpose was to speak to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are the non-Jewish people, the non-religious people. It'd be the people that would think, I am less worthy of God's love than anybody else. And notice this. Who better to tell the Gentiles that God sent Jesus to forgive them too than this guy? You know what Paul called himself in the New Testament? The chief of all sinners. He's like, I'm the worst guy that ever walked. I am, it, listen, here's how he could say it. If God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. That's the beauty of what he could do. Who better to talk to the Gentiles? Equally, who better to teach and train up these Gentiles that didn't know anything about the Bible than someone that was trained so deeply and richly in Scripture? Do you see how Paul's purpose was perfectly fit to the past that he'd been through, his experiences, his gifting, his wiring? All the things that God put in Paul were not by accident. This was all on purpose for a purpose, and God has the same thing for you and I. Listen, I, I need you to understand this. My hope for our church is that you would recognize God has a purpose for your life. Your, your, your existence is not just about working until you're 65, saving it up, up enough for retirement, paying off your house, and living a good life until you pass away. 
That's, that's, your life has more meaning than that. God has a unique calling and purpose for you that is perfectly wired to your passions and your wiring and your gifting. Your calling is probably not to go to the Gentiles. But equally like Paul, he has a calling for your life. And it's going to be connected to who you are. You know what my prayer is for students here at 12 Stone? That they would discover their purpose early in life. Go back to you at 16. I'm not going to, I'm not going to project on your story. But you from 16 to 25. Think about the things you got caught up in. That if you could go back in time and erase that from your journey, you would. I got some. You know why you got caught up in those things? Because you couldn't see your purpose clearly. The second you've got a clear purpose, you can, I don't need that anymore. I'm not going to get messed up into that anymore. We spend so much time with our kids saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What if God would say, stop telling them what not to do. Help them discover what their calling is, why I put them on this earth. Because as soon as you see it, I let everything else fall aside. What if God would do that in our next generation? What if it's not just about protecting them from all the things in this world? What if it's about helping them see their purpose? God, listen, if you're a student, 12, 15, 18, 20, listen, God has a purpose for your life. Don't settle for less. The mistakes you make today can suddenly get clear as soon as you know why you're here. What if God would take moms and dads? I'm just going to say this directly. You're a stay-at-home mom, and you start saying things like, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. What if God would send you back to the same house and the same kids and whisper to your soul, I created you for this. You're the only person that can speak this into your kids' lives. This season of time for you, you have 18 years, 15 years where they understand what you're saying. Well, 10 years when they care what you're saying and understand what you're saying. You have a limited amount of time. <laughs> And what if God would whisper your soul, this is why you exist? What if God would take men that are in business and they think all they're doing is I'm just making money? What if God would say, I have a bigger purpose for you than that? Listen, you might be settling for less. See, when you meet Jesus, you realize this is not a religion. You're not just showing up to church every seven days to check a box. You can know God. And then once you know God, he invites you to be a part of his people, and he can free you up, help you discover the things in you that are holding you back, the way you're seeing the world. He can give you fresh sight so that you can see why you exist. You have a purpose. And then eventually, here's how it ends. The fourth step, Paul's life made a difference. Like Paul left a lasting impact on the world. He wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament. Not too shabby. Did a pretty decent job there. He, he led missionary journeys all over the Roman Empire, planted over a dozen churches, and this man's life has impacted billions of people. That's a B. Billions of people over thousands of years, and it all started on a moment on the road to Damascus. And you see, when you discover your purpose, you realize your life can make a difference. Your life can actually impact the world. You can do things that will last well beyond your lifetime. And sometimes the greatest difference you'll make is just is your kids. Sometimes it's the legacy you leave financially for the kingdom. Sometimes it's the things you do that you just show a kindness to someone at work. But you can discover why God puts you here. And this transformation journey is what makes 
the movement of the gospel last. See, a marketing campaign would have fallen short. Listen, just the church being a cool institution that does good things, it would have fallen apart at some point. But when you realize that God wants to transform you from the inside out, he wants you to know him, to have a relationship with him. He wants you to be freed up from the things that you, you carry from your past, your hurts, the words people spoke. He wants to wake you up to your unique purpose. And he wants to invite your life to make a difference, to be bigger than that. Listen, many people don't realize what actually starts this movement in you. And listen, if you meet God and stop there, you're settling for less. My prayer this week was that the Spirit of God would just sort of inject a supernatural hope and optimism that God has more. You might be settling for less than God has for you. You might have stopped in the journey. Well, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I bowed my life. And I guess I'm stuck with all this baggage. And that's my life. Or maybe you, you, you stop short of your calling and God's like, listen, I have a purpose for your life. You don't have to just go to work. You can go to the same place, but do it differently knowing your calling and your life can be meaningful and can make a difference. And maybe you never knew there were four steps in this process. Maybe, maybe no one's ever taught this to you and you're sitting there going, I've never even heard this. In fact, let me, let me say these steps the way we're going to say them here at 12 Stone. Here's how we would say these steps. That you would know God. Not just know him like Saul did intellectually. That you would know God personally. And that when you know God, you can find freedom from the things that ensnare you and entangle you. That the power of God can free you from those through his people praying and bringing that healing. And then you can discover purpose. Your life counts for more than just going to school and work. And then we can make a difference. See, you don't have to understand the depth of these today. I'm going to come back in the, in the month of January. Listen, the month of January, I'm going to be teaching these things into the life of our church. And it's going to be more than just a sermon series. These things are the things that are going to align the entirety of our church into the future. The movement that God's called 12 Stone to be a part of, this is going to radically transform how we do everything we do at this church because we believe this is the path of transformation God wants to take your life on. And you might have settled for less. You might be stuck because you stopped short. And God might invite you to continue on this journey. And you might leave January saying, oh my goodness, no one's ever taught this to me. We want you to live different in 2023. Make January a priority. This can transform everything. And for Paul... God transformed everything. And now the man who was once the enemy of the church is a hero of our faith. Not because he's good, because God's good. God transformed him from the inside out. And what Paul's life did was it made a huge difference. In 12 Stone, God's calling us as a church to make a huge difference. What is a movement if it literally exists in the boxes of our campuses on Sunday mornings or just your living room and 12-stone home for an hour a week, and that's it. That doesn't make a difference. Like, it's good. Church services are good. Hopefully, you enjoy, you're encouraged. But we've, we're called to something bigger than that. And I want to take this to our here 
and now because God's given us our daymaker calling this Christmas. And so I want to invite us into what is God calling our church to do to make a difference this Christmas? And I think it's going to be one of the largest places that God's ever invited us to make a difference in the history of our church. So I want you to sort of step over here with me. And I'm curious, how many of you have already decorated for Christmas? Anybody? You can raise your hands across the campuses, 12 Stone Home. You can just look around someone's, someone's living room. How, do it again. How many of you have actually decorated for Christmas? Wow, Scrooge. I, my wife, this was funny. Uh, two, uh, 10 days ago, I came home from work and she had like, you know the Christmas boxes where you keep your decorations? They're beat up always because they've just, so many times. She had them upstairs and I said, are you like going all out for Christmas? Here's what she said this. I'm just going to give it a splash, just a splash. An hour later, it was like a tsunami. Like the whole house was covered in Christmas. So when I just feel this, something in me, just, you, know what, you know what, we're missing something. Let's do this. Guys, we just hit a little Christmas music for us. Let's just set the scene. Let's get the vibe. Oh, come on. Listen, if you had a bad day, it just got better, didn't it? There's been times where I had just a junky day at work and I drive home. You know what I turn on? It's July, Christmas music. My heart just grows five sizes. So, so Christmas, let's get the vibe. That's not in the notes. God's called us to make a difference as a church. So I want you to start to see how this is going to play out over the next month of Christmas, because this season is very unique, and I think it lends itself to us as the church being the church to make a difference. So we're going to start with December 4th. If, you, if you're like a planner, you can write this stuff down. If you're not, we'll remind you a couple times in the weeks to come, but I'm more of a planner, so let me walk you through it. December 4th, we're going to start collecting pajamas for Jambos again. This has become sort of a tradition here at our church, where we collect thousands of pairs of pajamas for kids that are in the foster system. Think about this. Out of nowhere, you're taken out of your home of origin, put in a new home, and you most of the time show up with the clothes on your back. What makes a kid feel at home? Pajamas. And we get just in a, just a little small way, make a difference in that kid's life to say, listen, God sees you in this circumstance. So we're going to collect thousands of pairs of pajamas, whether you bring them to our campuses live, online, you can jump onto Amazon. We have links on our website where you can actually order them directly from Amazon, but we're going to start that December 4th. Also on December 4th, we're going to distribute some sort of collection bank for your kids because we're going to be doing a Christmas offering. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But on December 4th, your kids get a chance to be a part of making a difference. We get a chance to teach our kids that they can make a difference too. Whether it's four quarters or a couple pennies or a couple dollars or lots of dollars, they get a chance to say, I'm going to give God my first and my best to help make a difference in other people's lives. Then on December 11th, we get to jump into, we're going to, we're going to call this the 12 stone days of Daymaker. And we're going to give you a magnet that has 12 days worth of Daymaker ideas for Christmas where you and your family can have simple ways where you can just love on people, show them God's kindness, show them that God sees them. It's going to be a blast for your kids, for your family, for you and your friends, your small group. We're going to start that on the 11th. Then on the 18th of December, we're going to receive a Christmas offering. We've not done this in years because it's been really complicated with everything going on. But December 18th, we're going to receive a Christmas offering. And here's what you need to know. Every dollar that we bring in, we're giving away to the community. 
It's not this, this, that weekend is not about us. It's about people. We want to make a difference in the lives of people. And here's what we're going to be doing on that day. We're going to be focusing in two areas. We want to make a difference in some single moms' lives and in some at-risk kids' lives. Let me tell you about them. This Christmas, we are going to work with one of our partners, Airborne Servants, and they work with single moms to provide reliable transportation so that single moms can get jobs, can build a life. Imagine trying to work and not having a car that works. So we are gonna be giving away 10 cars to 10 single moms that are in need, vetted through this ministry, and every dollar we give, that's part of what we get to be a part of. See, that's what the kingdom of God's about. Then equally, we're working with the school systems in our territory here, several counties surrounding us, and we've had conversations with the schools, and there are, call it 3,000 kids that they would label as sort of like urgent, crucial need. And when we say that, it's not like they only get two presents for Christmas. We're saying like they don't know if they'll have food for Christmas break. I'm just going to be blunt. When we discovered that, we said, how can a local church be here and not solve that? And so we are going to solve food for the 3,000 kids that we have their names from the school system. We're going to work with the schools. We're going to solve that for the Christmas break, we're gonna make sure they have food, whether it's through actually giving them food, through gift cards, gonna be a bunch of different ways to accomplish that size of thing. Think $150,000, $200,000 of food that you get to be a part of in this Christmas offering. We're gonna solve that and make a difference in the lives of those kids that listen, they'll know even in tough circumstances, God sees you and loves you. And we want them to Feel the local church. If we're a part of this movement that God started 2,000 years ago, it can't be stuck inside of our buildings. It's got to leak into the streets. And church, you need to start praying right now. What would God have you give on December 18th? You might consider, what if you just gave a tithe of what you would have spent on your kids for Christmas? If you just spent $100 on your kids, maybe $10. That's great. Maybe your kids are really lucky and you'd spend $10,000 on them. You can adopt me. And then after that, maybe, maybe you give $1,000. Like, listen, I want, can I tell you what I want my kids to know? I want my kids to know that when we follow Jesus, he transforms us. And we decide to go with less so we can bless somebody else. That's what you do. So December 18th, that's happening. Your kids can bring their banks back and they'll be a part of that. And then lastly, December 23rd and 24th. See, ultimately, we believe the way that we make a difference is through the gospel. We can do all the kind things in the world. We can give a cup of cold water in his name, and that's beautiful. We can give away cars and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, what we want is for people to know God themselves, that we make a difference so that the next person can know God. That's how this movement continued. And so the 23rd and the 24th, we're going to have Christmas Eve services, just numbers of them across our campuses, 12 Stone Home. You guys have your times that you'll find that serves your neighbors best. But we're going to have Christmas invites in the lobbies starting today. And 12 Stone Home, the digital invites will be online starting today. And I want you to begin to pray, God, who would you have me invite to Christmas Eve? Because I think people are more willing to come to church on Christmas Eve than you might realize. And I know that God is more willing to save people than we're realizing. And it's part of what God invites us to. And I, I've been talking to the campus pastors and David Grant and Holman. We believe that inviting 
is a huge way, maybe the biggest way we can make a difference in the world around us is that we can point people to Jesus. So this Christmas might be the largest, most generous Christmas we've ever done in the history of our church. You might go, man, this feels like weird timing. The economy's weird and inflation, all the stuff going on economically. How, why are we doing it now? Because this is the time that the world needs the local church more than ever. It's our calling. So be a part of what God's inviting us to in December. We are so excited about that. So as your, your pastors hop up on stage, I want you to begin to pray. I don't tell you this stuff early just so you're like, oh, cool, thanks. I'm inviting you in early because I want you to process this before God. God, what would you invite me to give? What would you invite me to jump in and serve? How will I be a part of this? Who will I invite? So pastors, would you hop up and tell us how this is gonna play out at each campus and in 12 Stone Home? So hey home, you kind of kind of hear that a little bit of where we're going this Christmas, which is super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm super pumped about all the stuff that God's asking us to do and inviting us in to do. But but where Jason ended there, let's start there, if you will, for mm -hmm. right now. Like, who are you inviting? Like, who is God putting in your heart and kind of like in your mind right now? I've been like, man, I've thought about reaching out to them. Christmas is a great opportunity yeah. to do that. Maybe, maybe you should. Maybe this is a great season and a great time. Maybe just to reach out to somebody and say, hey, why don't you come over to my home gathering? Why don't we, yeah. maybe they don't have Christmas Eve plans. Like there's a lot of people out there that maybe they just don't have anything planned. Maybe their family's far away. And this is a great opportunity to be like, hey, come on to the house. Let's have some food together. Let's, let's watch a Christmas Eve experience together on the 24th. We're gonna have invites that are gonna be on yeah. social media. You can send those just digitally. But yeah, this is a great season just to invite somebody to come over and watch Christmas Eve service, hang out, have a meal together. Yeah, so yeah. that's... Yeah, it's gonna be really exciting. Yeah. And another thing with Jambos is um, there's a lot of details that I'm not gonna bore you with, but if you are not in the Atlanta area, we have plans in order for your 12-stone home gathering to be able to impact foster kids actually locally where you are. Yep. So your leader's gonna get you some information as far as what that looks like. And so we're really excited for how God's gonna use um, 12 Stone Home to make an impact in foster kids' lives across the country. Yep, that's right. And then also we'll just end uh, with this part too, with all the stuff that's happening over Christmas, yeah. this generosity part that Jason's talking about, about God just asking us to um, invest in single moms and then there's just kids that are in need around this community. And we would just love to invite you into that uh, Christmas offering over the next several weeks. But uh, we also say that here at 12 Stone, one of the ways we worship is the way that we give. It's the way that we put God first in every area of our life, including our finances. And uh, so if that's you and you're like, man, I would love to worship in that way and engage, you can text GIVE to 37748 and you can give digitally that way. It's super simple. It's the way that I do it, um, you know, every, uh, every couple weeks. And uh, it's a way to put God first and to worship through the way that we give. Yeah, and one thing that's also really cool is 12 Stone Home, you really are already doing a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Like, for example, there's there's a lady out in Washington, single mom. Yeah, you were saying this is cool. And she, literally, her refrigerator was going out. Her refrigerator was only lasting, like, she could only keep food in there for a week at a time because yeah. it was going out. And then one day it went out, and her 12 Stone Home gathering came around her and figured out how to get her a new fridge. That way she didn't have to worry about food going bad. That's and so cool. it's so cool that 12 Stone Home, you have been doing this. And so it's really cool how God's gonna continue to move all throughout the country with this. And so our question for today yep. is, um, where do you think God's asking you um, to move in this next season, uh, this Christmas season? 
um, what, what's that movement that he has? What is the question? Yeah, I, I, I wrote it down, and like, as you're saying, it, I'm like, I was like oh, I, I forgot it. how we, Hold on. we, we wrote we it down. We worded it way better. Okay. Yeah. How do you think God wants to use you this Christmas season? There, there it go. is. That's <laughs> Sorry, <great>. words. <laughs> yeah, so how does God want to use you this Christmas season? Yeah. Maybe that's something that you just want to ask around the room right now. Mm -hmm. Take a few minutes, have that conversation, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.